Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest goes by 0x Justice on Discord. Justice has been thinking and writing about DAO governance issues since joining Bankless DAO in June of 2021. He is currently one of the recently elected members of the GSE, or Governance Solution Engineer Team. He brings over a decade of experience in agile process and lean organizational design, and in his words, is deeply invested in the sustainability of the DAO construct. Welcome, Justice. Thanks for making time for Making Bank. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me to come on the show, and I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it all day, every day. Super. Well, there are a lot of things that we can unpack here related to governance, and I think at least for me, when I first came to the space, governance didn't sound very interesting. It sounded like something I wanted to avoid. And so maybe what we could do is start with unpacking a little bit about what governance means in this space, what the GSE program is about, and why we're doing it. Does that seem like a good place to start? Yeah, that sounds good, especially since I felt the exact same way about governance. I came into Bankless DAO through Ops Guild, and at that time, Frog Monkey was the main coordinator there, and he was a lot further along in his journey in the DAO space, and so he's talking about governance and stuff, and I was like, this doesn't sound interesting to me, and I've gone through this circuitous route to arrive at this place, and it's true to the meme of the astronauts in space where it's, wait a minute, it's all incentive engineering, and they're like, always has been. Right. And so going from Ops Guild to trying to be a project champion on a project and do project management, because I have a lot of that background, to having the frustrations there because there are unique characteristics of project management in a Web3 context, one of them being a bounty oriented approach. And so from there, it led me to say, we got to figure this out. Let's have a special guild or special subject matter expertise to try to figure out this, what is Web3 project management? That led to the project management guild, founding that with the other members there. And then the full illumination coming and saying, wait, it's incentive engineering. It's the whole thing. And so that's how I arrived in governance. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the project management side of things because they really do dovetail and really rely upon each other. And project management, it's another one of those things that nobody really wants to, I shouldn't say nobody wants to do, but- Except for the project management guild, right? (laughs) Except for the project management (laughs) guild. And I don't think it's for lack of interest. I think it's the nature of project management. It's a hairy beast. It's got a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts. It requires a lot of different skill sets. But anyway, getting back to tying why governance and project management are related, we're going to talk about project management and the Project Management Guild in a future episode. But I think we should probably touch on this, what agile process is versus traditional project management and why it applies, why you feel especially that it applies in DAO space, because Mm -hmm. it does come from software development. And maybe that can lead us to why we're having this kind of conversation. Yeah, I will say my favorite kind of analogy on this about these two things 
is project management in a DAO context are the hands of the DAO and governance is the voice. And one does have a primacy of importance in order while the other does in like actually execution. The hands can't do what the mouth doesn't say to do, but the mouth can say what it wants to do all at once. And if the hands can't execute, then we are not going anywhere. And so if that's helpful there to see that analogy, that connection. The hands are too busy to talk about what they're doing. <laughs> yes, yes, true, true. And to codify it and uh -huh. to get that evolution of thought and iteration, which is what Agile process is about. Yeah. As opposed to traditional project management, where you have the scope set up front, then you build out your timeline and dependencies and all of that, and you manage from the top down, which is completely an anathema to to the way things operate in a decentralized or uh, widely dispersed organization like DAOs mm -hmm. are, and especially yep. Bankless now. Yep, and it, it's crazy because <clears throat> really there's a lot of baggage that comes with Agile, the term, but it's just iterative incremental delivery. And the idea is that you never know less than what you know right now. And the idea of implementing a just-in-time approach where you make decisions at the point of the greatest piece of information, but you can't be changing your mind every second. So you need a loop where you basically, what is the current state of the universe? Make a decision, do the action, see what the result of it, take another, take another test measurement, and then do it again. And you get these feedback loops. And that's the idea from Agile. And it's pretty crazy because there is no very few, if not any, systems as complex as software and the human, uh, the human system, humanity. And so DAOs is this Frankenstein of both. So the complexity is incredible. So anyone saying this is going to be the roadmap and the plan for the next year, and that's just what it is, they're not being serious with the unknowns. Hence the idea of bringing this iterative incremental delivery mindset into the DAO space. And it even has incredible impact on your approach to governance. You still have to have a roadmap, but you can't be so rigid that you can't adapt to changing mm -hmm. conditions. And conditions change so quickly. This wanting to cling to a plan that was written, it's like, we wrote it. We have to follow it. <laughs> it makes it quite challenging. I think this leads quite well into where we're at with Bankless DAO. We're over a year old now. The anniversary was May 4th of 2022. That was a one-year anniversary. And We've gotten some insights since then. We've done what's known as an NPS survey on several occasions. So we have some trending data with that. And that gives us a, a feel for where the membership is, what they feel, where they feel the challenges are, what we need to focus on. And, and I think that will also help inform our governance evolution. Maybe you'd like to speak to that. Yeah, I would say there's maybe two big streams of data that come into the consideration when you think about the health, the sustainability, longevity of a DAO. And the one is technical, tokenomic related. And then the other is sentiment. So how do people feel about the DAO? Are they satisfied? Would they recommend it? What's their experience? And if you have strong tokenomics and no one's happy, it won't last. And if everyone's happy, but you don't have strong tokenomics, that won't last either. Basically, engineering and crafting changes to the community's operating system via the governance process is the tool to address both of those data streams, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, there's actually quite a bit to unpack there. Where do you want to start? 
Well, I'll say this. My mindset and approach to a governance is strongly influenced by background in software development and as an agile coach and doing like transformations in an enterprise context. Things can have different flavors and there's more than one way to skin a cat. But looking at governance through the way we have crafted it in Bankless DAO is like greatly influenced by that. And so what that looks like is we had our governance processes spread across many different sources. We had it on Snapshot. We had it on a wiki. We had it on a forum. And the idea was to use the analogy of if I come in to do some massive re-architecture of a software system and none of their code was in source control, the very first step would be to move all of that into source control before making any changes. And so what that looks like for Bankless DAO is crystallizing what we have right now in the form of a constitution and community handbook or community manual, and to get everyone a thumbs up to say, this is currently what we do. And then secondly, after that, to introduce a improvement proposal process, which looks very much like a freaking pull request on GitHub, where you say, hey, here's the current state. This is the change I'm proposing. These are the tests associated with it. And then the community right. can Major, make minor, decision. incremental. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then the community can make a decision on that. And that's so exciting because it almost abstracts away. It's like, what is the change? And it's like, in one way, the change is not so critical because the community has opportunity to make a mistake, roll back, make further changes. It's organic. It changes. The process, though, is non-negotiable. If we mess that up, then there is no real machine to keep running. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about when you were describing that. And <clears throat> I know there, depending on how your brain works, when you hear source control and major minor incremental eyes roll back in the head for uh, <laughs> i wouldn't say all creative types but many creative types like well i just want to draw stuff <laughs> here's the thing how many times have you named something final final yes. really final yes. this is really final too and then you are going back to the client and they want an earlier version that you worked on well which one was it which one did you get approval for i don't know and so to bring a very concrete example to folks that maybe don't like to deal with process and don't like to deal with version control, these things can actually relieve stress if done well. Yeah, well said. Well said. Uh, but yes, getting back to this uh, down constitution improvement proposal standard, it's a mouthful, but it really does distill down into the thinking here. And that is a forum post from about 10 days ago. We will have this in the show notes. And we can refer to that. And that also refers, and I'd like to mention here, the Community Handbook, the Bankless DAO Constitution and Community Handbook, which is a Google Doc that is linked within that forum post. And I know a lot of folks, when they look at forum posts, they don't necessarily go into the attached documents. And I would strongly encourage everyone to take a look at this and comment on it. And if you want to have a say in the direction of the DAO and where you think some of our pain points are, suggestions for improvement, this is the place to do it. We're working on it right now. The GSE team cannot do this in a vacuum. They need our input. I'm glad you put it that way. The reason why the um, Constitution is not in the forum post but linked in the Google Doc is we were not getting enough eyeballs on the Constitution to say, yes, no, hey, this section is not accurate. And so this was a preparatory step. This is not the, 
yes or no, is this it, push it through. This is more like by creating this forum post and describing the framework, the idea and the direction, people can say, we can get some feedback to say, yes, I agree with this direction. And also I can go in and put my comments and input here. And then with that attention, the GSC group can go in, do another pass to sort out all those merge conflicts, you know, to use the analogy, go through and say, okay, do we have it? And then a, a follow-up post will be, okay, we feel that we have enough soft consensus that this is sufficiently accurate to move forward with this vision. And so now we will put it through for the official vote. And I'm working off the assumption that our governance system thresholds increase based upon the money involved. So if you're asking for a million bank, two million bank, whatever, like it goes up, I'm assuming the highest level here because this is such a big change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense. You had uh, spoken to something before, and I think it spoke to, at least in my mind, to some of the concerns that had been expressed, I think, in the comment thread about it um, mimicking traditional orgs and being a top-down kind of thing. And I think this helps explain that that is really not the intent at all. We just have to have some sort of a structure to work from and to speak to. And like you said, and I don't think it was a bad analogy at all, was a, what was it, the merge? Uh, I'm not a developer, so I forget the term. Yeah, merge conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> merge conflicts, yes. One person has their has their text say this, and another one says that, and they're not compatible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. How else are we going to summarize and codify that and figure out what direction we need to go if we don't know what the consensus is? Yeah, I don't um, totally understand the position that, oh, this seems like something old, but there's a very common posture in Web3 that if anything looks remotely familiar to what has come before, that it must be anathema. And I take the position that we can take the best of what has been created and developed over thousands of years and supercharge it and program out many of those things that were not possible to program out before. And so I do look for continuity and use token mechanics to amplify the goods. And so that's my thought on that. Hey, did we want to maybe touch on some of the results from the NPS? I do have the graph up here or the pie chart up on my screen. It says, what should success look like at the end of the strategic planning process? What do we wish to be achieved from the planning process? Mm -hmm. So clear priorities and multi-year plan were the two highest response answers to that question. Yeah, and yeah. Of course, there are others related to achieving the mission and all of that, but those are really the two mm-hmm. top responses in that category. Yeah, I could speak to those and maybe even speak to the diverse skill set of the GSE group and how these different things come into play. We talk about slaying Moloch and minimizing coordination, and yet we think if we can just get a few more hours of work in and a few more Discord channels and read a few more posts, that we'll finally get there. And the reality is just. It never ends. There has to be a focus and a recognition of limitations of one's own cognitive faculties. And so what that looks like practically for the GSE group is different GSEs are specialists in different areas, okay? And so my focus has been on the constitution and the improvement proposal process. So that's that gives us a system for change. Rotorless, one of the other GSEs, he has a background in risk modeling, risk analysis, and his whole mental framework on this is that risk equals opportunity. I mean, they're equivalent, two sides of the same coin. And he is deep on identifying 
the risk at the top level because there were actually, there's the NPS thing that went out. And then there's also a strategic prioritization survey that went out that was more associated with the long-term concerns and vision of the Dow. And so between him and Manuel, uh, Manuel, he's a born what they call protocol politician. He's able to translate a lot of the concerns from this data in combination with Rotorless's insight on how to model these things and interpret them and, and respond to them and get us to a place where we have some sense of of responses that could be taken in response to these concerns. Sawthorn, another one of the GSEs, she is deeply uh, skilled in all kinds of stuff, but two things specifically is on-chain reputation and compensation mechanics. And so she's working real closely with Above Average Joe, who's another GSC, to basically flesh that stuff out. And Above Average Joe has the, he's the longest in the tooth as far as his history and deep knowledge and bankless down. He's the wise owl to define what are the communication channels to get stuff accomplished, where to go for these governance sources. And then he has deep knowledge on actual deeper tokenomics issues, like similar to an ice cool to come in on that. While I respect and appreciate people saying, hey, this is the pain point, compensation, we'll use that example, compensation. My mind goes towards if the DAO is not sustainable in a fundamental level, at the treasury level, at the flywheel of creating value, then no one gets any compensation. <laughs> so my mind goes at that at that macro level in incentive engineering, and then we can get from that and built on that some different compensation approaches that hopefully, and I think, can retain the most committed people, the most talented people in this community and build it out more fully. So there's a little mouthful there. <laughs> yeah, there has been a lot of discussion about that as well. And compensation is definitely something everyone thinks about. And yes, there mm -hmm. won't be any compensation if the organization doesn't continue to exist. There have been some other, lots of other discussions about that. There have been some forum posts. I know Lynx had one that had to do also with tiers of membership, then the idea of a locked token. But then we also have folks that maybe can't lock their tokens. They don't have the luxury of being able to do that. So there are a lot of issues there around it that are being surfaced and trying to figure mm -hmm. out the best way forward between governance, voting, compensation, the model, anyway, all of those tokenomics the, the, that I certainly don't understand. The real, and I use the word beautiful a lot when I talk about this, and I'll use it again. The beauty of this is that when you write on a piece of paper, you say, okay, tokenomics, leveling, onboarding, org structures, you can get a pretty short list and that short list of items map to specific sections in the constitution. And then you can begin to say, listen, changing this paragraph and adding these two other paragraphs would be a totally different approach to one of these issues that could have incredible impact to the entire economy. And so that's where things are going to get very exciting over the next I would say month. Over the next 30 days, things are going to get very exciting. And uh, yeah, yeah. So th this makes that possible. Great. I also want to touch on something else that the GSE team and the podcast Hatchery and Making Banks specifically have been talking about. And that is having a series of these conversations, not just between me and one other person, but to have kind of a roundtable and have a GSE roundtable and maybe unpack some of these conversations and topics that 
We touch on them a bit on Community Call. I love the new format. We're evolving the format. I think it's an improvement. But I think the fact that we spend a good portion of the Community Call talking about these issues and bring folks up like you to unpack a few things, I think is really helpful. But not everybody can attend that Community Call. It's a limited amount of time. And I think being able to have these extended conversations will help us iterate faster and meet people where they are as well and hopefully get more feedback and that much faster and get where we need to be. Yeah, totally. The whole proposal process really lends itself to those conversations because the person talking has a vested interest to talk through the details of their proposal, how it can impact things. And then people have a vested interest to hear. It has an impact on their place in the DAO. And then you just get to know the person behind the behind the ideas. So I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Where would you like to go from here? There's a lot of things we can talk about. I've got quite a list of directions we can go or topics we can discuss. One thing we could do is if you want, I was looking actually back at the original GSC applications and yours, and I didn't know if you want to touch on this or not, but you had a, had some thoughts here and the question was cut off. So I don't know the full question. You thought these were important establishing gates with expectations and rewards around the existing structure, increased compensation to directly responsible individuals at critical positions mm -hmm. to reduce responsibility dilution, mm -hmm. seasonal KPI template, de delegated governance, greater financial transparency, reallocation of grants responsibilities, mm -hmm. and a path to sub-DAO framework. That's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if that's something that, that we want to dig into now or if we want to go more tactical. No, I would love the... to. Those are awesome. All right, cool. Cool. Pick one. No, start, let's start at the beginning. What was the first All one? right, let me look at my list again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, establishing ex explicit gates with associated expectations and rewards around the existing BDAO leveling structure. My goodness, mm -hmm. that's a mouthful. But yeah, uh, no, I think that's important. So let's talk about that expectations and rewards. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the shortfalls one of the shortfalls of our existing leveling structure is it. In L1, you only need to have X amount of bank and authenticate in a server. So it's okay, you've authenticated. L2 is you're recognized by another contributor for bringing value, and therefore you get leveled up. Okay. All other levels on top of that are just related to how much bank you hold. So there's two challenges with that. Is the first is there's really one one way to incentivize people in positions of decision making is to have more of their own skin in the game. And so by saying, hey, if you want to be a project champion or guild coordinator, you actually need to hold a lot more bank than someone who just showed up yesterday and authenticated in the server. And two, the people who do have that position, we could have a lot more reputation built in to arriving at that position. So it's not just, hey, I got I got elected to an L2 and now I'm managing and being a champion on a project with a million bank and assets under management. And so that's the idea, creating those incentives. And the, the simplest way I could frame it is the most um, powerful incentives are twofold. There's an upside and a downside. And um what that could look like. It may not look like this for us directly, but what it could look like is I want a particular position. This position has a lot of responsibility. I stake something of value. That could be locked bank. 
It could be ETH. It could be anything. And then I receive compensation as I fulfill my commission to do this thing. But here's the thing. I have an upside. So as long as I stick around and do my job, I get the income. I also have a downside because I don't just lose that future income if I disappear. I actually lose my stake too. Because the permissionless nature of DAO projects is a knife that can cut. The DAO space is exploding with opportunity, a promise at every corner. And the people's attention space is at a prime. It was at a prime in Web 2. Like Web 2 is built on ads, web ads. It's a, even more of a prime now because these, uh, a talented person can go in one of a hundred different places and do their thing. And I like to use the term, we had yield farming in DeFi. We basically have contributor farming now, you know, where you have to have the incentives in place or just you, you put so much at risk by saying, hey, here's this project, here's this initiative. The DAO is investing this money in it. And we got a quarter or half the way through it and everyone evaporated because some other promising opportunity came up. So building incentives around that. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I was just thinking back to the early days of Dow and none of us knew each other. We all came into the space because we subscribed to a newsletter, basically. Yeah. Not this space, but the, but into Bankless Dow. Mm -hmm. And then of course people came later for various reasons, but as we get to know each other, you're right. You start going to people that have delivered in the past. Yep. And then you naturally build this funnel and it starts excluding people, not by, not intentionally, but just by the nature of, of human connection and reputation and all of that. Yeah. And this actually brings up another question. And this came up the other day in a meeting. And I'd like to bring it up because this is a member comment saying, hey, I love the show. And one thing they'd like to hear is when people come on the show, other Bankless DAO members, and especially role holders, well, how do you get there? Mm. What skills are required? What do you do? How did the role come about? And what or who do you need to know to, to get into that position? And I, I have some answers on that just from my own perspective, because I... I was an early guild coordinator and stuff, and it and bubbled up just because of things that needed to be done. But I was wondering if you wanted to maybe weave some of that into this conversation. I think it's relevant. Oh, I think it's fantastic, and I love this. It's, this, is a, this is actually a very helpful, non-ethereal question we can unpack. I would say first, in my experience, the first thing that's necessary is patience. The advantage of being in the DAO space right now is that we're so early. People barely, the public barely understands Bitcoin. And we've jumped beyond that to programmable coordination and decentralized autonomous organizations. No one even has categories. You have to use the word construct to define it. So that's the advantage. The disadvantage then is we don't have like HR doing onboarding and giving your computer and saying, hey, shadow this person. We'll get there, but we're not there now. And so it takes some right, time. Here's your new employee packet. <laughs> yes, yes. Health insurance forms. Uh-huh, and the training for a week or something. It, it takes some time. It's not a ton of time, but it takes some time. I've been going hard in the Dow space for a year, and it's like I felt very frustrated and overwhelmed in the beginning. So I would say um, patience and um, consistency. Leveraging the guilds is the way. The guilds are, they're stated purpose is onboarding, education, and talent sourcing. 
And so wherever a person's interests fall or their background talent set, hey, I'm a graphic designer, hey, I'm a writer, I know about tokenomics or, or whatever, I'm a DevOps, I'm going to hop into the Ops Guild or a project management, you can supercharge your jump by bringing in your skill set from your real life history and bringing that in. And then when you come in, you know, patience, consistency, showing up to the meetings, man, the first thing a person can do, which is so cool, is offer to take notes. Everyone wants to talk in the meetings. No one wants to take notes. It's like the multi-sig. Everyone wants to be on the multi-sig. Who can sign a text? Nobody no wants to execute. Yes. Confirm it, but they don't want to execute <laughs> yes, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so patience, time, guilds, take notes. And then from there, things take care of themselves. For me, a big step was going from guild to actually applying to be a project champion. And so it was not easy. And so what I did to soften my nervousness with it was to actually split the role with a friend. So someone else in Bankless DAO said, hey, let's split it and go halvesies on this. And so we're our very roles decentralized. And so let's do this and learn along the way. So that was very helpful. And, you know, think in terms of seasons. I'll use the word season just to very similar as a quarter, three months. First three months, I'm going to get so embedded and be a source of help and knowledge in the guild. The second three months, I'm actually going to join a project. And then after six months, see where my interests take me in the rest of the ecosystem. Wow. Just if we had the cameras on, I would be just nodding my head because that is almost exactly my path, except with AV Guild. I came into AV Guild because I like to tinker with those things. I'm a gadget guy and I like to play with audio and video and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, getting back to the point, which was sharing a role. I didn't really want to jump into a role. I didn't want to take on that much responsibility on my own, especially when I didn't feel like I had that much knowledge in this space. And so, yeah, it started out as a doing shared roles, helping each other out. And we did that almost from the beginning with AV Guild, I think. The shared role really did come about because of A, a need, and B, the acknowledgement that we have other things that we're doing. We may, People may have full-time jobs, families, all of that, and just cannot commit that much time and energy as much as they'd like to do the role. And so I think by Having shared roles or micro roles, like I think Education Guild has done this and marketing has definitely done this in terms of micro roles so that people can work on things for a few hours a week and not feel like if they sign up for something, it's an all or nothing. Something I learned too is there tends to be an inverse relationship between like, how do I put this, order and opportunity. And what that means is if you're just looking for income without a lot of impact, you can go to a very ordered DAO that may actually just be a business, which is fine, a business leveraging some Web3 tooling and basically get a paycheck. And you, one, one night, one morning, you'll wake up and you'll be like, wait a minute, I'm just a freelance contractor. So that's true. But if you want to have a big impact, I find you need to go to where there's mayhem and chaos and a deep need for someone to come in and contribute and help. And in those places, the compensation may be very low or almost non-existent. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was either you or Rotorless, right, that was saying that, yes, there's a risk, but that's where the opportunity is. And being able to assess that was an asymmetric risk. Is it worth spending your time on for the reward there? 
And does it align with what you care about? Yeah, you can only do something so long you don't care about it. Just working for the money isn't going to last you very long, I don't think. And one day, like you said, you're going to wake up and go, why am I doing this? But if you wake up every day excited to, to do what you do, I mean, that's hard to find. And actually to try and get into that, almost like a flow thing or feeling like you're aligned with what you care about. And it's really hard to find that where you can earn and not necessarily turn it into to this grind mm -hmm. and be inspired every day and be motivated to continue. Yeah, even the best things too have their days. Even the best days of the stuff I'm so excited about. I've had days in Dow space where I just feel like, man, I'm done. I'm so done. I never want to see Discord again, close everything, and not see a computer screen for the next three days. So, yeah, so. Well, and that's the other huge risk. And I think that's something that is a big part of this is contributor retention mm -hmm. and avoiding burnout. Yeah, the burnout piece, I think, is more so like an individual's responsibility to weigh their stuff. And then the contributor retention, it is a very difficult one, especially we're actually in some ways in a better position now than we will be in the future to retain talent. Here's why. We do not have cross-community reputation yet. So a person who's established a high profile as far as being capable and knowledgeable in a community, that doesn't translate they show up in some other DAO, right? So there's already, due to the limit, our current limitations, an incentive to stick in your community. When we grow into the more cross-community reputation, that's going to change. It'll be even more difficult. And so that's why having appropriate compensation mirrored to the ups, the promise, the return on investment of the particular venture is going to be very important. And that's, I use the, that term DRI in the in my original GSC proposal. And that term is, it stands for directly responsible individual. And the idea, this it's, it's taken from Agile. The exact terminology is taken from Apple. They use it in the military. They call it one throat to choke. And the idea is there's a single individual who's responsible for a thing and can communicate where it stands. And they have to be compensated proportionally to the upside of the thing being delivered or else you don't have a sufficient structure and incentives to make the thing work. And I think in, like in traditional corporate structures, you may be given the responsibility and not necessarily the authority or the compensation. And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know how you expect me to accomplish this <laughs> or the tools. right? Or even want to. It's like, hey, yeah, tell me exactly how many tweets I got to send. We have a little bit of that right now because we do have these two roles defined at the top level in Bankless DAO of project champion and guild coordinator. So I believe in the DRI principle and its effectiveness, and we have some hooks into existing roles. And I think if we can rejigger compensation connected to those, we have something real magical. Yeah, you had talked about project champions versus some formalized project manager, which I think is how things bubble up anyway, yep. right? One or more people identify a need or something they want to work on. You assemble a, a small group that wants to work on it. And somebody takes the lead. You have to have somebody take the lead on to kind of coordinate the thing. I don't know how else you do it. Even if it's just three friends getting together to put together a 
a monkey hut for burning <laughs> Yeah. <it>. Otherwise, you <laughs> end up with the Spider-Man meme where there's three of them pointing to each other. That's what you get if there's no right. directly responsible individual. I'll give a little story about this. I presented this point in the broader context of a paper I wrote called Rethinking the Dow Contributor Funnel and presented it to a Dow called Block Zero Labs. And afterwards, maybe it was like a few months later, they had kicked off another initiative called Hype, like the Hype Blast. And it was a partnership. Oh, that's what that came Yes. They did, it, they did it so <laughs> fast that I pinged Dash, who is the summoner of the Block Zero Labs. And I said, how'd you guys execute on this so fast? He said, DRI, baby, DRI. And I was like, Dang, it was it was very wow. very cool experience to hear that and see what they did. Wow, well, had explode <laughs> emoji there. That's incredible. <laughs> All right, um, yeah. As far as getting these things done, those are some great insights. And here's another component that sometimes people cringe at, and that is the idea of KPIs or key performance indicators. And it's really just measurements. If you don't measure anything, how do you know if you've achieved it? And that's really what it gets down to. It's not like meant to be some onerous top-down hierarchy. You, and I think you had even spoken to this, where projects develop their own mm-hmm. metrics. What are the things that are required for this project mm-hmm. to succeed? Working as a agilist for many years, I found myself permanently in the position of needing to somehow influence teams or teams of teams, but without having any direct reporting structure that anyone needed to listen to me. And so what that did was cause me to begin to formulate and structure methods of doing that, and it perfectly fits in and dovetails with the DAO space where there is an authority, there's agreements, and there's a big button that either gets pressed or not pressed, which is moving money. And that's basically it. And so where I've landed with it is the idea that human psychology and a community can take care of itself if there's visibility on all the team's data. And so a team looking at its data relative to the data, its throughput data, its execution data, if it's looking at its own data relative to teams across the whole org, then it can say, hey, where am I falling on this leaderboard? Or, hey, we got a downtick here. Let's try some stuff to work this out. And then on top of that, too, you introduce the ability for the community to have a say. Right now, in many communities, what you end up having is you have a small group of people that decide on whether the funds get released or it's kind of obfuscated in one giant snapshot where like all the projects are in there asking for their money. But imagine a world where all the team's execution and delivery data is visible on a dashboard and the community at any time can come in and say, we actually want to give more money to this or actually going to drop our contribution here. You create all the way back to the beginning, full circle, a feedback loop between the community and where funds are going. And without anyone kind of being in charge per se, or the boss. And I think part of that is a challenge with tooling. It is. We have some great tools, but there are some challenges in terms of keeping track of workflow, rolling up data, um, all that kind of thing. And you can't really expect everyone to use all the same tools, right? No. My, my highest hope in that right now, as far as longer term, is clarity.so is a real, is like a beast of a tool. And it's like, Trello with a wiki, but you has all kind of token gating and and uh, you can do payouts on there, bounties and stuff. But they've created an open kind of pluggable API. And my hope is that we can begin to introduce on that tool all the data 
that's generated from what people are familiar with, with tools like Monday or Jira and stuff like this. And so then we could have that visibility. Yeah. Um, Clarity.so, that, that's a cool tool. I've played with it a bit myself. Um, I love the idea that you can actually token gate a conversation or work group with any token, any ERC-20 or ERC-721, mm-hmm. yeah. I think, at this point. Um, I felt, at least the last time I looked at it, it was a little bit feature-limited, and I think that's part of the challenge we've got with some of these new tools that have really fun, uh, useful integrations like that. But, man, you're, they're still missing some features, and so yeah. that's that balance. Um, I was wondering if we need to talk more about maybe some tactical actions going forward in the short term or... Do you feel like we covered enough on the strategic priorities? What would you like to touch on next, do you think? Uh, or was there something else? I, I couldn't. I don't think I could productively speak any more at this point on the results of the MPS score or the strategic prioritization and alignment survey, except to say that the top level concerns there, the GCs will attempt to write BDIPs, bankless DAO improvement proposals, to address them, which then the community can vote on, or even we'll get to a point where anyone in the community could write their own improvement proposals. So the machinery of that, I think what I'm really excited about, because it's just so untouched, is this um, path to sub-DAO framework, especially because there's a real hot issue that almost risks overtaking the thread of the Bankless style constitution and community handbook forum posts. And that was the issue of legal wrappers. And I think this is super important for several reasons is that there's a ditch here. And if we're not careful, we can fall in that ditch. But if we're smart, we can do stuff in a way that we get all the benefits without the downside. Yeah, that's actually a pretty yeah. important topic. Uh, we had to come back kid from the Legal Guild on recently and touched on that just a bit. Yeah, yeah. it may not sound like they're related. Legal wrappers and sub-DAOs, they're very related. And I wrote a mirror post called uh, DAOs as Digital Nation States that gets into this a little bit. And the idea is this, is that when people think about DAOs, they think one of the reasons why you form a legal company is to protect yourself. If you don't form a company and you just go out and you're mowing lawns or something, you could do something wrong, make a mistake, and the person says, hey, you accidentally broke this pipe with your lawnmower or something. I'm coming after you personally. Yeah. Unlimited liability. Yeah. Unlimited liability. And so your entire net worth is on the table and it's just, okay. When you form a company, you form a separate legal person, a legal entity. And that entity then is the thing that has the target on its back where if you don't run the business, you get sued, you lose the company, but you yourself are not destroyed. And so there's a growing concern for, hey, how do we do this? But usually how this is framed is we're going to wrap the whole DAO in a legal wrapper. Now, the problem with this is even though people talk about it like incessantly and frequently, in my opinion, it's frankly not possible. It's not possible practically and it's not possible philosophically because the fundamental property of DAOs is they're decentralized and autonomous. And so I cannot conceive of any legal wrapper. I'm using air quotes now because a legal wrapper is related to a nation state. Right, I was going to say a jurisdiction. A jurisdiction, and it has authority over the people domiciled in it. 
you can't make laws in America for people in China. It doesn't work that way. And so you have this total disconnect between these incompatible entities. And so the story doesn't stop there. I'm not a unmitigated anarchist. This is where the cool part comes in. What you can do is you can say, listen, the DAO is a pure DAO. There's no, we're not even going to attempt to put a legal wrapper on it. Any subunits, initiatives, projects are free to use a legal wrapper for themselves. So bankless loans, bankless card or whatever, and bankless, bankless consulting, consulting, exactly. In they fact, do, I think they, they have do done have that. that. And so this is where the real amazing part comes in is this is the next question. What is the connection between the subunit that has a legal incorporation and the parent DAO? And that's something that no one has cracked or even attempted to. Because you need to have the subdow still fall within the governance framework and parameters of the parent dollars. It's not a subdow at all. And so creating those on-chain assurances, you could do this through a staking mechanism. In the same way we talked about contributors, now a contributor would have an upside and a downside. And it's the way a proof of stake consensus works. Like, hey, I'm going to tell the network, the state of the network, but I have to put some money up front. And therefore, if I'm submitting fraudulent answers, I lose my stake. In the same way, you can have a legally wrapped sub-DAO that has some kind of stake that ties it to the governance system that enables that connection. And this dynamic, what I'm describing right now, will usher in the next epoch of DAO capabilities. Because up till now, the most a pure DAO can do is manage digital assets. When this connection between the legal sub-DAOs and the parent DAO is solved, DAOs will own property, buildings, intellectual property. They will push into the full capabilities of nation states. We're a virtual organization, but there's a lot of talk about wanting to have some sort of a footprint somewhere and be able to mm -hmm. do more IRL stuff. I'm not just talking about going to conferences yeah. and having a, a sister event. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you go to Portugal, for example, and in Lisbon, there is an office mm -hmm. of Bankless DAO. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> this is not the first time that thought has crossed mm -hmm. my mind. And then how do you work within that structure? Yeah, that's that's a big conversation. I'm not even prepared to have yeah, that, to ask the right question. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super deep. And there's several... There's a technical innovation in there that has to happen. There's legal innovations that has to happen. And then there's governance innovations. And all of them have to come together and lock into place in order to make it possible. Yeah, there's a lot of outside dependencies that we don't have control over. And we're just going to have to help try and influence in the ways we can through the organizations that are doing that, but then also try and figure out how we can model based on the evolving nature of the regulatory environment around the world. I mean, that's a hairy beast. Yeah. And, and one way to kind of check yourself, if you think about this, right, is, it, is to ask, like, are you thinking in a purely American context, because most people, when they talk about this, they are, and they're not thinking like, what is the Chinese version of basic business legal constructs? And then when you start thinking in terms like this, now you can have, well, what is the subdow trying to achieve in what jurisdiction as far as legal agreements or physical asset ownership? And then let's build a 
fit for use kind of solution there. And so now the DAO's using the law and not being used by it. And this brings in the next level of treasury diversification beyond digital assets. Wow. Yes, that's a big conversation. And I think we're going to be having a lot of conversations about all the subtopics in there for the foreseeable future, quite frankly. So fasten your seatbelt and keep your eyes open. Did you have another component to that? Oh, I was just going to say, that's the Star Trek going to outer space, another galaxy stuff. The short version in the context of Bankless DAO is having projects grow into self-sufficiency. So they're not literally only able to exist by accepting more money from the DAO or the grants committee, and they grow in that self-sufficiency. And um, DAO punks is a big success there uh, in how they did that, where they started as a sub-DAO and they kind of grow into their own self-sufficiency, own community, and it's amazing. Right, and self-sufficiency may look different Mm -hmm. to different projects or that become sub-DAOs. I did want to touch on something you had mentioned earlier and circle back to it. You were talking about uh, guilds being onboarding, talent pool, that kind of thing. And I forget where you had written this, but you had said something about projects should not be housed within guilds or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, I'll... I was curious about that myself because I'm involved in a couple Mm. of different guilds that have projects within them, but we also work on outside projects and we help source people Mm. to work on them. But sometimes it'll come out of our budget, sometimes like as a new joiner bounty to introduce themselves and get them plugged in. But as far as projects themselves, it it really ends up having its own budget or coming out of a different group. But yeah, I, I was just curious what your thinking was on that. Yeah, I'll say this, and this is my opinion. No one needs to agree with it, right? One of the first steps in thinking about an entity, an organization, is what is the organization? An organization can't have no organization. And so you say, what are the organizational units? Okay. And so if we don't have a clear statement on what the units are, and if all of them can be any of them and all of them can be arbitrarily nested, we're not in a position to state clearly what are the metrics for success? What does someone expect? How does someone even grok what is happening here? And so right now, what we have is we have projects, we have guilds that have projects within them. And then we also have operational units that just make sure everything is running that are neither guilds nor projects. And there is no distinction between them, practically or financially. Ops Guild is the same as a website project or, or another project or other guild. And so what I would state is that a good starting point would be for us to distinguish and to define what those three entities are and not conflate them. And so I would say a guild is a group of subject matter experts or in uh, organizational design, a community of practice. And it, its focus is onboarding, training, and talent sourcing. Now, can it have a project within it? Well, certainly if it has its own income, maybe there's a project for new joiners to help them understand the lay of the land. That's cool. But should it have projects that are the same level as actually funded entities? Well, consider how hairy that is. A project has to stand on its return on investment. What's the return on investment? If we just give a budget to a guild, we actually, and they have projects within them, the DAO may actually be funding projects it has no interest in funding that are not profitable and don't give a return on investment, but they're still funded because they're nested in a guild with a totally separate 
purpose, right? And so, you know, I would say let's distinguish the schools and the academies from the Y Combinator startups. And let's distinguish both of those from Y Combinator itself, which has an overhead and a cost of doing business and has a bottom line. And so making those distinctions and not conflating the function of the three, I think is an extremely powerful starting point for coming into a new level of efficiency and clarity for the whole organization. Well said. That brings to mind another idea, which is scope creep. And I think that's a huge risk if you're not defining things well or if the goal changes or whatever, or if you're just throwing money at something without clearly defining what the expected output is, you can really waste a lot of time and money. Yeah, yeah. I think Peter Pan is a Dow, big time Dow thought leader. I think he, he leaked the title of his talk. He's going to be given it NCOM in September. I don't know if it's the actual title, but it's something like why Dallas have wasted all their money, all the money and time over the last two years. And it's pretty easy to launch a token and for a bunch of people to get into Discord server, especially when they're being given tokens that have a market rate to do so. What is really not easy is building a profitable value stream. And so starting with that, starting with MVP, product market fit, and then building community around that. And then the community enabling more products and more value streams to be created. I think that is the one, two, three of Dow development epochs stepping through those. And there's more complex ones beyond that. But I think that's the sequence of events there. All right. Well, there's a lot of uh, fodder here for future conversations, <laughs> I would say. As far as next steps, I was looking at the Dow Constitution Improvement Proposal Standard, which we've been referring to multiple times in this conversation. And the call to action here is please do take a look at the linked document in there that talking about our constitution and all the components there. And I've already seen there's a number of comments. I'm encouraged that people are taking a look at the document and providing feedback, but there's still room for more. And so feel free to turn on the comments, uh, add your mm -hmm. two cents or two way. And then after that, which is one community call to discuss the features of this proposal, which I think yeah, we just did we last week, didn't we? And then there will be a snapshot vote. So the snapshot vote is probably a, a little ways out yet. Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, a lot of people's attention this week is in New York City with NFT and stuff. And so my intention is to go through and resolve all the comments and content that's on there in the document before our community call next week. And then basically come again and say, hey, this is where we're at. This is a response to these comments. And are we ready to take this to the next governance step? Like take another pass, look at it. Have we satisfied everyone's concerns? And the trick here, and this is a difficult trick, but we can't lose grip on it, is that we want all kinds of stuff. I want all kinds of stuff. I want all kinds of changes. We all do. This document has to capture what we currently do now without any innovation. That's a starting point. And if you go all the way down to the Constitution, there are links to our existing spread out governance process and details. Look at those first, then come back, look at the Constitution and say, does this satisfy, does this communicate fundamentally the same thing? Right. Sit down with a cup yeah. of coffee or whatever, and it's going to take a little time to go through that stuff. I don't want right. to turn anybody off, but you know, don't think you're going to get through <laughs> in five minutes. You need to right. take a look at it. And if you care about the DAO and you want 
your voice to be heard, this is the way to do it. And so we're recording this on Thursday, June 23rd, and I want to make sure that we can get this out. And we want to make sure people comment on this document. So yeah, this is important and helping the DAO move forward and ensure that we are adhering to what our community wants and can iterate in a way that we can evolve and grow and not just throw things out because something didn't work right. We need to codify this a little bit better. And if we're going to continue to exist, and grow and be successful. I think we need to really take this seriously. Mm -hmm. Well said. And thank you for bringing attention to this and getting this out. Appreciate that. And big shout out to everyone who's trying to maybe come up on in the governance side. This is a big way to do that. Uh, more you imbue your mind in the statement of organizational constructs and how decisions are made and what are the thresholds. This is a fast track to get there. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're not familiar with these terms, I mean, some of these terms, I've just learned them too. In doing my research for GSE Conversations and to talk with you and upcoming conversations with Renee from PM Guild, I felt it was really important for me to do a little research on this too. So, you know, just because I'm asking some questions that sound like I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> I, I really don't. I'm, I've worked with some of the stuff a little bit. And I'm trying to ask good questions to, to really elicit this. So please, anyone who's listening, we're all figuring this out. We all come from different areas of expertise. We can all learn from each other. And when you don't understand something, ask the question. And I guarantee that there are other people that have the same question. Yep, right on. Those were some final words, but did you have anything, any last thing before we really wrap this up? No, thank you so much for having me on the show. We went in there hot and heavy and uh, talked about some cool stuff. And I'm really happy for the additional eyeballs on this topic. And, um, you know, it's not just the future of finance or the future of art, but it's the future of free speech, free trade, and just the free humanity, this DAO construct. So it's very important. We do everything we can to see successes across the whole ecosystem, and especially our backyard, which is Bankless DAO. Absolutely, 100%. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been Making Bank, a production of Bankless DAO. If you'd like to learn more about Bankless DAO, please visit bankless.community on the web for more information and how to get started. And of course, if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform.